Section 159 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 159. Rosalie Proudhon. There was a real mystery in this affair which neither the jury, nor the president, nor the public prosecutor himself could understand. The girl Proudhon, Rosalie, servant at the Varimbos of Nantes, having become ensanct without the knowledge of her masters, had, during the night, killed and buried her child in the garden. It was the usual story of the infanticides committed by servant girls, but there was one inexplicable circumstance about this one. When the police searched the girl Prudence's room, they discovered a complete infant's outfit, made by Rosalie herself, who had spent her nights for the last three months in cutting and sewing it. The grocer from whom she had bought her candles, out of her own wages, for this long piece of work had come to testify. It came out, moreover, that the sage femme of the district, informed by Rosalie of her condition, had given her all necessary instructions and counsel in case the event should happen at a time when it might not be possible to get help. She had also procured a place at Poissy for the girl Prudent, who foresaw that her present employers would discharge her, for the Varimbeau couple did not trifle with morality. They were present at the trial, both the man and the woman, a middle-class pair from provinces, living on their income. They were so exasperated against this girl, who had sullied their house, that they would have liked to see her guillotined on the spot without a trial. The spiteful depositions they made against her became accusations in their mouths. The defendant, a large, handsome girl of Lower Normandy, well-educated for her station in life, wept continuously and would not answer to anything. The court and the spectators were forced to the opinion that she had committed this barbarous act in a moment of despair and madness, since there was every indication that she had intended to keep and bring up her child. The president tried for the last time to make her speak, to get some confession, and, having urged her with much gentleness, he finally made her understand that all these men gathered here to pass judgment upon her were not anxious for her death and might even have pity on her. Then she made up her mind to speak. Come now, tell us first, who is the father of this child, he asked. Until then she had obstinately refused to give his name. But she replied suddenly, looking at her masters who had so cruelly calumniated her. It is Monsieur Joseph, Monsieur Varimbeau's nephew. The couple started in their seats and cried with one voice. That's not true. She lies. This is infamous. The president had them silenced and continued. Go on, please, and tell us all how it happened. Then she suddenly began to talk freely, relieving her pent-up heart, that poor, solitary, crushed heart, laying bare her sorrow, her whole sorrow, before those severe men whom she had now taken for enemies and inflexible judges. Yes, it was Monsieur Joseph Verimbeau when he came on leave last year. What does Mr. Joseph Verimbeau do? He is a non-commissioned officer in the artillery, monsieur. Well, he stayed two months at the house, two months of the summer. I thought nothing of it when he began to look at me and then flatter me and make love to me all day long, and I let myself be taken in, monsieur. He kept saying to me that I was a handsome girl, that I was good company, that I just suited him, and I, I liked him well enough. What could I do? One listens to these things when one is alone, all alone, as I was. I am alone in the world, monsieur. I have no one to talk to, no one to tell my troubles to. I have no father, no mother no brother, no sister, nobody. And when he began to talk to me, it was as if I had a brother who had come back. And then he asked me to go with him to the river one evening, so that we might talk without disturbing anyone. I went, I don't know, I don't know how it happened. He had his arm around me. Really, I didn't want to, no, no, I could not. I felt like crying, the air was so soft, the moon was shining. No, I swear to you, I could not. He did what he wanted. That went on for three weeks, as long as he stayed. I could have followed him to the ends of the world. He went away. I did not know that I was enceinte. I did not know it until the month after. 
She began to cry so bitterly that they had to give her time to collect herself. Then the president resumed with the tone of a priest at the confessional. Come now, go on. She began to talk again. When I realized my condition, I went to see Madame Boudin, who was there to tell you, and I asked her how it would be in case it would come if she were not there. Then I made the outfit, sewing night after night, every evening until one o'clock in the morning, and then I looked for another place, for I knew very well that I should be sent away, but I wanted to stay in the house until the very last, so as to save my pennies, for I have not got very much, and I should need my money for the little one. Then you did not intend to kill him. Oh, certainly not, monsieur. Why did you kill him, then? It happened this way. It came sooner than I expected. It came upon me in the kitchen while I was doing the dishes. Monsieur and Madame Verambeau were already asleep, so I went up, not without difficulty, dragging myself up by the banister, and I lay down on the bare floor. It lasted perhaps one hour, or two, or three, I don't know, I had such pain. And then I pushed him out with all of my strength. I felt that he came out and I picked him up. Oh, but I was glad, I assure you. I did all that Madame Boudin told me to do, and I laid him on my bed, and then such a pain gripped me again that I thought I should die. If you knew what it meant, you there, you would not do so much of this. I fell on my knees and then toppled over backward on the floor, and it gripped me again, perhaps one hour, perhaps two. I lay there all alone, and then another one comes, another little one. Two, yes, two, like this. I took him up as I did the first one, and I put him on the bed, the two side by side. Is it possible? Tell me. Two children? And I, who only get twenty francs a month? Say, is it possible? One, yes, that can be managed by going without things, but not two. That turned my head. What do I know about it? Had I any choice? Tell me. What could I do? I felt as if my last hour had come. I put the pillow over them without knowing why. I could not keep them both. And then I threw myself down and I lay there, rolling over and over and crying until I saw daylight come into the window. Both of them were quite dead under the pillow. Then I took them under my arms and went down the stairs out in the vegetable garden. I took the gardener's spade and I buried them under the earth, digging as deep a hole as I could. One here and the other one there, not together, so that they might not talk of their mother if these little dead bodies can talk. What do I know about it? And then back in my bed, I felt so sick that I could not get up. They sent for the doctor and he understood it all. I'm telling you the truth, your honor. Do what you like with me. I'm ready. Half the jury were blowing their noses violently to keep from crying. The women in the courtroom were sobbing. The president asked her, Where did you bury the other one? The one that you have? She asked. Why, this one, this one was in the artichokes. Oh, then the other one is in the strawberries by the well. And she began to sob so piteously that no one could hear her unmoved. The girl Rosalie Prudent was acquitted. End of section 159. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.